walking up and once I'm done here in one minute, then we're going to open the gate and let them come. But um, I just want to remind you guys that we are going to be, at Panza Chapel, we're going to be offering a, uh, a small group weekly discipleship program called The Way. And um, we are going to be making as many groups as necessary in Pansy Chapel in order to accommodate every person who wants to be a part of that. And so that means we might be doing uh, men's groups, women's groups, family groups, maybe groups of couples, maybe groups of youth um, age kids and people and so on. We're going to make as many groups as we need. And so the way, just as a reminder, is an obedience based um, curriculum. In other words, what, it mean, what I mean with that is that it's not just information. You, you will learn things, and yet, but it's not only for learning, it's also for doing. And so it helps us put that into practice. You could imagine that um, it, it's really a, a daily devotional that you do at home, every day at home, six days a week kind of, kind of idea. And you could anticipate to spend... 45 minutes a day, uh, plus or minus a bit, depending on how that works for you. And then we'll meet together in a small group to discuss what we've learned, share how it went for us as we put into practice what we learned, and encourage and pray for each other. And so that's kind of the idea. And I recognize that's a sizable commitment uh, for people to make. when they, If you are interested in signing up for that, we're going to begin in January. And if you are interested in signing up, it's a, I recognize it is a bit of a commitment, but what I've experienced myself since September, really participating in it every day, and along with a number, number of the other key leaders in our church, is that we've, we're finding that it's helping us put into practice what we've already learned. And it is really good to do that together as a group. And so I'm hoping to lead at least one or maybe several groups inside of Pansy Chapel here. And there's a number of other of the key leaders that are also going to be leading a group. And so we've got to coordinate what those groups look like. And so please watch for an email today that is going to give you further instructions of how to sign up and so on. And then we're planning to begin that in January. So let me just, uh, let me just pray for Steve as, he, uh, as he's about to come up here. And then we'll go from there. Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to stand in this place and procl- uh, proclaim your name. And I ask Jesus for your blessing on Steve as he comes up here to share your word. Could you just anoint him with a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit that there would be uh, babbling brooks of water that would spill, they would be living water that spills from this place into, each, into the heart of each person who hears it. Lord, could we be those pe- uh, people who have ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying here this morning? In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Whew. I am excited to be here. I will tell you that right now. Uh, as you know, last time that I was supposed to be up here, I did not get to speak because I was not feeling well. But I am, like I told the line this morning, I am fired up. I am ready to go. We are, we are going to talk about something today, and it's called, What is in Your Hand? And that will make sense when I start talking about the scripture that we are going to be looking at. We are going to jump 
right into this. But first, let's ask God to be here this morning. God, I just thank you so much that I can speak uh, to this church, this church body, Lord. Not just the building, but the people who usually reside in it, who are now at home. God, I pray, Lord, that to everyone listening online, to everyone who hears this message, Lord, I pray that it will be your words that they hear, Lord, and not mine this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So scriptures this morning comes out of Exodus, Exodus chapters 3 and 4. So I'm going to paraphrase chapter 3 a little bit, and this is about uh, Moses and the burning bush. So this is a classic, uh, you know, Sunday school style story that we're going to be talking about right here. And there's, there's, there's aspects in here that we're really going to see come out. So Exodus chapter 3. Moses sees the burning bush. It's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. God tells Moses he's on holy ground, and he intends to send Moses to Egypt. Now, during that time, Moses is going to have to set his people free. And the first thing Moses does is not saying, hey, that's a great idea, you can just send me, go. Uh, he actually says, uh, hold on, there, there are these things that are coming out that I just, uh, uh, I can't do this. There's excuses. And something to go over, you know, all the adults with their kids and stuff like that, go through those excuses with your kids, because these are not new excuses. These are excuses that we make nowadays. Um, you're going to see your kids make these to adults. You're going to see adults make these excuses to other people. We are going to talk about the first one in chapter 4. So after Moses tells God, you know, I, I'm an absolute nobody. I don't want to go. Don't send me. Moses asks the question in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. And he says, what if? What if? Now that in itself could be referred to as fear's greatest hit. That is it. What if? I mean, how many things in your life did you not do because of what if? How many nights because you have slept, but what if kept you awake? What if? How many mornings did you wake up anxious because what if? Not just what if. It's what if. Now pay attention. Here's the next word. What if they? It's a good question. What if? I mean, there's many, many of us will wonder and wander through our entire lives wondering, what if? You know, what if they laugh at me? What if they don't accept me? What if they don't take me for who I am? What if they... But on, on one hand, we see Moses, and it's a hypothetical situation, what if they? Because it hasn't even played out yet. It's not real. He's just playing out the possibility of obeying God. What if they? On the other hand, it's not hypothetical at all, actually. It's historical. Because when we look back in Exodus, we're actually going to read that he experienced rejection. 40 years earlier, okay? 40 years earlier, Moses killed an Egyptian in defense of his people. And because he did the right thing in the wrong way, he ended up on the run. Now, there's something about 
when you've tried to do the right thing and put in your heart something, but you did it the wrong way, that you don't ever want to try again. That's where we see these excuses. So now we have Moses. He's asking about something that's hypothetical, but it's based out of his past, out of the history in his life. He's looking through his past at this potential future. Potential future. Not, nothing to be guaranteed yet, but it's this potential future and his limiting factor of that. But God wants him to know in verse 2. We're going to see it. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? Now, I know we've asked this question before, but how many people know that God does not ask a rhetorical question? He asks questions he already knows the answers to. What is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replies. A shepherd's staff. Now, to us, a staff is a shepherding instrument. It's a tool. And Moses was using it to tend his father-in-law's sheep. But to Moses, actually, this staff, this staff in his hand, it represented more than just a tool. It represented his mistakes. Because if he never killed that Egyptian 40 years earlier, he would have never ended up as a fugitive on the run from Egypt. He was adopted and lived as royalty, and now he lives in the desert. So when God tells him what is in your hand, it causes Moses to have to think about the mistakes that he made and may have landed him in this position to begin with. Because when God speaks to you about your potential, he will cause you to confront your past. What is in your hand. To Moses, it's a staff, but it's also his past. To Moses, it's an instrument and a tool, his tool for the position that he is in. There's a lot happening with this staff, but that's why God asked the question. And yet God says to Moses, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit because it takes up a good chunk of this this chapter here, Exodus chapter 4, if you want to look this up. And God says to Moses, Don't look at what you don't have. Don't look at what you don't have. Stop making the excuses for what you don't have and look at what you do have. The only things you will need are your staff, your cloak, and your hands. And you got that. You have it already. What you have is what you need. Now, we do this thing where we repeat the yellow lines. So repeat this with me. What you have is what you need. God wanted to say that to someone today. And I talked to Delan about this this morning, about how directed this message is, but I want to reiterate that a little bit. When I wrote that down, that is, that is God saying that to someone this morning. What you have is what you need. Now, he might be talking to a single mother or a single father or a home that is hurting at this very time. You may have had huge decisions that you had to make. You may have had changes in your life. But what you have is what you need. He put whatever you needed in you. He put that inside of you. He does not make anything that is broken. What you have is what you need. Everything you need is in your reach. 
everything. Leave your list of what you don't have alone today. Leave those excuses at the door. What is in your hand? The wisdom that you need to make these decisions, it's probably in a book that's on your shelf that you haven't read. It's probably been a while since you picked up that book. I watched an interview lately about two pastors. They were talking about their churches. And this one had a smaller church and one had a bigger church. And the one from the smaller church talks to the one from the bigger church and he says that I need some advice. The pastor from the big church says, well, I gave you a book. Well, he says, the book from three years ago? He says, yeah, that book. He says, have you read it? No, he says, I didn't get around to it. And the one from the big church says, I knew that you were going to be in this place because I was there. I know that. So I gave you what I knew you would need. You missed it. He said, this is what he said. This pastor from the big church talking to the little one who needs advice, he says, call me back when you read the book. He says, at least read a couple chapters and we can talk about it. You know, sometimes when we pray and we ask God to download some information for us about a decision, and we get that, we, we're, we're asked like, God, I need help with this. Give me the information that I need. To, to make it through this. And that's not a bad prayer to make. But sometimes God, God smiles and he looks at us with those loving eyes and he says, did you even read the book? Did you read it? I gave you instructions. I gave you the written word of God. Have you read the book? We've never lived in a time where the information is more accessible than it is right now. I mean, we, we can go online. We can see so many different ways to read it. We can set alarms for it. We have daily readings. They break everything down for you. We have Bible reading yearly plans. We have the psalm plans. We have audio Bibles for when you're walking. There's a plan for everything you can think of. All you got to do is want it. You have to close your hand on it. Joy is there. You have to grab it. Wisdom is there. You have to grab it. The information that you need for the transformation of your life is waiting to be seized to those who are willing to open their eyes to see what they've been given. We have been given a gift. Everything you need is in your reach. It was something Moses already had in his hand that God used to move him forward into the future to accomplish God's works. I understand that because sometimes I get caught up in what I don't have. That's the truth. I do. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But I do. I, I get caught up in things I don't have. But here's the thing that God's teaching me. It's less about what you have and it's more about how you handle what you have. Okay? It's less about what you have, and it's more about how you handle what you have. I'll prove it to you. There was a show a while ago on uh, Netflix or, or online or something like that, and it was a documentary series from ESPN, and it was called Broke. And it shows um, stories of athletes 
who made millions of dollars in their career. Millions of dollars. And by the time they retire and their careers are over, they were in debt. Because it's not what you have. It's how you handle what you have. Okay, let's say that again. It's not what you have. It's how you handle what you have. It's true with a lot of things. Okay, it's true with money. You know, I just talked about these, these athletes. Well, I know rich people who are further behind than poor people. I know poor people who are actually greedier than rich people. It's not what you have, it's how you handle what you have. That's what God wants to know. How are you handling it? It's not the woman that you married, it's how you handle the woman that you're married. That determines whether you're, you get the marriage that you want. Now, don't get me wrong. The selection process for that is important. You know, you've you got, you got to pay attention to that. But it's a choice. It's still your choice on how you're going to handle this. Because it's not what you have. It's how you handle what you have that determines what you do. I'll give you another example. I recently found out that teenagers think they're busy. Yep, they think they're busy. They do. Now, when you, when you go to a teenager and you, you ask them a question about something, do you have time for this? Oh, no, I'm, I'm busy. I am so busy. Okay? I, I, I got all these questions raised in my head for, for a teenager like that. And these kids, these kids are like 12 to 13 years old, 14, 15, busy. Well, do you have kids? No. Because if you don't have kids, you don't know what it's like to be busy yet. Let's face it. Okay? In fact, if you teenagers, I'm going to speak right to those teenagers because I'm sure eventually some will listen to this. Those teenagers, you ever think you're too busy, I want you to walk up eventually, when this is all over here, walk up to a woman with a, you know, with a, a baby carrier, maybe some little kids running around. I know there are some ladies in the church like this right now. You walk up to one of those women and tell them that you're busy. You know what they're going to do? They're going to turn around, they're going to look you right in their face, and now they're going to spend the next five minutes telling you that it's not how much stress that you have, it's how you handle the stress that you have in your life that dictates you moving forward. Okay? These teenagers, all you guys, you could do a lot more but just learning how to deal with it differently. Don't just carry everything like that. you got to learn. There are CEOs who are busy, busy, busy people, and yet they have time to read God's Word. It is all on how you handle it. It's usually not the things in your life that are stressing you out that you think are. It's the things you're mishandling in other areas of your life that make you hate your job. Or it's things that you're mishandling in your job that makes you hate your life at home. So now you come home and you take out your frustration there on them because you didn't handle it over here. 
now it's showing up over here. You got to learn how to handle it. Whether it's life, whether it's your spiritual life, whether it's in a weight room when you're, you're going to the gym. See, you keep asking God to take some weight off of your life. But faith doesn't take the weight off of your life. It shows you how to handle it. How many of you listening at home are at a situation in your life today where you want God to show you how to handle it? Now I'm asking how because I want you to raise your hands and you're, you're all at home. And I get that. This, this should be a safe place. How many of you have a situation where you want God to handle it? How many? Well, God is good. And God is great. So God told Moses, I heard my people. I heard them crying out. And when their cry reached me, I came down to rescue them. That's what he told Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He said, I've seen my people in cruel oppression. I saw how Pharaoh was treating them, and I see what you're going through. I see what it's like. I see that you're trying. And God says, I came down, and I'm going to handle it. I'm going to handle this. Now, before you get too excited about it, God has his own way of handling things. Okay? <laughs> so, give you some examples here. So, you're going to ask God to send all these people away so they can get some food. And he'll say, no, no, just take that little boy's lunch and bring it to me. Because God has a different way of handling it. You'll be looking at Jericho with the big walls. And you'll be like, God, we need to walk, knock these walls down. Can you handle this? And God's not going to give you a wrecking ball. He's going to give you a trumpet. Because God has a different way of handling things. You tell him, I don't have anything to pay my debts off with. And he asks, what do you have in your house? You say, well, I've got a little bit of oil. And he tells you, go to your neighbors and borrow some jars. And you'll say, that, that's the problem. I'm already in debt. I don't want to borrow anything else. He'll say, go, but go do these things and borrow them in the right way. When you borrow it in the right way, now you get something that you didn't have before. Because God has a strange way of handling things. Now, if we're going to do what Delan does, and we're going to pull it back to this Christmas time, maybe you'll be praying about that God would send a Messiah, and you're going to be thinking that like Thor is going to come down and put his hammer down on things, and he's going to save the world. But instead, God shows up, speaks to a virgin girl, says, I even know that even though you've never been with a man, and your husband is going to want a divorce, and that what you, is conceived in you is from the Holy Spirit. And it's going to come forth, and it's going to bring salvation to the world, but it's going to start off in a manger. Because God has a special way of handling it. Some of you are in a situation right now, and God is handling it. And you don't even know he's handling it. Because he's handling it in a manger. And if the manger wasn't enough proof, he proves it on the cross when he defeats death itself. 
but the very instrument that symbolizes its absolute most violent nature. He doesn't defeat death with a tank or a sword. He defeats death with a cross because God has a strange way of handling your situation. And so he's handling it, and you didn't even know he's handling it because you've never seen it handled like that before. So when God told Moses to leave millions of Israelites out of Egypt, and Moses was trying to make excuses over and over and over again of sending someone else, I'm no longer qualified. I can't do it because I don't have any of those gifts those other guys have. I don't speak like that. I don't look like that. I don't come from the right families. I cannot do this. Maybe you're a woman. Maybe you're saying that, well, I can't be a leader. You know, I don't look like this. I don't talk like that. I don't behave like this. Well, I, what, I have nothing. I cannot offer anything. And here's the truth, is that God didn't make you like them. He made you like himself in his own image, not theirs. And so just like God told Moses in Exodus, it's not about what you have. It's how you handle what you have. What is in your hand? This morning, I've gone to you guys to spend a little time thinking about what you have. I know this sermon was short, but I believe it was for someone to hear. I believe that God is using this to show you in your life that just because you don't have everything right now, you have what you need. Because what you need is in your hand. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much that I can be in your house today. But more than that, God, I pray for every single person who will listen to this video. I pray for every person who will hear this sermon. I pray, Lord, that they will recognize the gifts that you have given them the gifts that are in their hand. God, that you have given us so much, so much in this life. Allow us to recognize that just because we have something or just because we don't have something, we have to stop making the excuses. We have to stop making the list of things that we cannot possess and we have to start focusing on you. God, allow us, show us this morning what is in our hand and how can we use that for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.